Welcome to the OKC First Church of the Nazarene podcast. At OKC First, we are learning to do three things, friendship with God, friendship with one another, and open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. Our scripture reading today comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, asking, Where is the child who has been born King of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising and have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened, and all Jerusalem with him, and calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, For so it has been written by the prophet, And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the wise men and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word so that I may also go and pay him homage. When they had heard the king, they set out, and there ahead of them went the star that they had seen at its rising, until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. Then, opening their treasure chests, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, Tamara. We got word, I think, yesterday that Brandon and all of his house in uh, North Carolina, all eight in the house, were suffering from a, a, ver- a really bad version of the stomach flu, and so he had to cancel his flight. And it's nice to be able to say, hey, Tamara, can you take a run with this? Because it's great. Thank you very much, Tamara. For doing that, it is the, uh, the last day of Christmas, kind of overlaps with the first day of Epiphany, and so we begin a new sermon series today, Imagine. It's the name of the series, Imagine. And, and here are the messages of Epiphany. They go something like this. You ready? God is bigger than you think. God can reach farther than you think. This kingdom is in places that you might not expect And you and I are asked to live into God's version of the kingdom more and more and less and less (laughs) grip the kingdom as we believe it's supposed to be. If you take your worship folders, a couple of things I wanted to to draw your attention to in your worship folder here on the left-hand side, the term epiphany means to show or to make known or even to reveal. Or here's what's being revealed. This is what's being revealed. That God is God everywhere, that God is God in all circumstances, all times, all places. And now, you may be sitting in your pew right now, nodding your head, saying, well, yeah, duh, I think the kids still say duh, right? I think, yeah, duh, God is God everywhere. And yet, we seem to have this strange way in that we are chronically normal human beings. We seem to have this strange way of compartmentalizing life compartmentalizing life so that God is not necessarily God of every aspect of life. God is God here, 
In the pews, you can even see it in the windows. You can hear it in the songs. God is God here. But is God God everywhere? Is God God, sovereign, Lord, at work everywhere? And if God is at work everywhere, if God is sovereign and Lord everywhere, if this kingdom is advancing everywhere, then how can I and how can you participate and be a part of it? During the season of Epiphany, it's my hope that I can, via scripture, help to reveal the God that is in fact active, sometimes in mischievous sorts of ways, everywhere, and calling for our participation in this kingdom that advances. Okay, but we will have to have, in order to participate in this kingdom, we will have to have a couple, actually, of different uh, attributes or skills. In order to participate in the kingdom, you need to work on developing this sense of selfless, sacrificial love. You will need that, okay? We'll continue to work on that. You will also need to work on having the highest possible sense of integrity. Christians must be believable and reliable if the kingdom is, is to advance. But after those two, love and integrity, maybe the most important attribute that we must develop in order to be kingdom people and participants in this kingdom is imagination, or another word that we're gonna to use today, creativity. I think we will find in today's passage of scripture, in a passage that is so incredibly familiar to us, so dangerously familiar to us, that we don't necessarily hear it. We survive it. We don't necessarily hear it. I mean, as Mark was reading, did you catch yourself sort of moving ahead? Oh, I, I know what's coming. I, I know what happens here. And since we so deeply know what's happening here, we don't always enter into scripture like someone who is from the complete outside might hear this story. It's a crazy story. And I hope to help reveal some of the craziness today. But it will take creativity on your part to appreciate the imagination and creativity on God's part. What if I were to say to you that God is more creative than God's people tend to be? Again, you would say, uh, of course, God's God. God tends to be more creative than God's people tend to be. But here's what I'll say to you. When God's people aren't creative, and when God's people are so uncreative, unimaginative, that they sort of seize on one way to do something, one way to hear something, one definition of truth and one right answer, then perhaps there are times when the people of God work against God. Can you believe that? I think scripture contains the stories of several dark times in our shared history when the people of God worked against God. My hope is during Epiphany that we can actually shine a light on whatever it is that might cause you or me or us to work against a creative and imaginative God who, by the way, has designs and plans on today. Again, let's not be so addicted to the hereafter that we forget the here. God has dreams and designs and plans on the here and on the now. And at times, what God has to do is pierce through our lack of imagination to birth his imagination. Does that make some sense?
Christians have a way of saying there is one right answer. We believe in truth with a capital T. <laughs> and if you don't believe in my version of truth with capital T, there's another place for you. I mean, we have that weird tendency of, of doing that. There's, there's something, of, and listen, I do think that there are a, a few things about which Christians must be certain. I just think the list is shorter than most people. I think we have to be certain that God is in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Now, how God does that, please don't pretend that you or I have a corner on knowing how God's gonna go about doing that because if you believe you have a corner on the, on the market of knowing how God's gonna go about doing that, you're gonna be frustrated by this story about wise men, wizards, magi, kings, whatever. Make some sense? Creativity, imagination, key components key skills for people like me and hopefully like you who want to participate with God and in this kingdom to accomplish the dreams of God here and now. If there's anybody else like that in the room, just raise your hand. I just want to see, make sure I'm not alone. I am largely alone. <laughs> but yeah, we need to develop this imagination to be able to move forward. Imagination. Here is uh, a quote from Dr. Tina Selig. And at Stanford University, she heads up this department that has everything to do <laughs> with imagination. And I loved this quote. You're going to hear more about this quote. And you're going to see more from Tina Selig. Creative people aren't puzzle builders. They're quilt makers. Now, we have had a tradition at my house, a holiday tradition, of puzzle building. Uh, Mom would either... Go, would go get either one of the tried and true favorites, very intricate, very detailed, very hard to put together puzzle. We'd get out the, the card table and we would spend hours pouring over that card table looking for those edge pieces, right? And then finally grouping the, the pieces according to the right color, we would all just pour over this box. Is that right? Can this be right? Dear God, help us finish this puzzle. A thousand pieces, who knows how many pieces, and we would get to the very, very end, and almost every time, you know what would happen, almost every time we get down and we have 999 of the thousand pieces, one piece left. Immediately we went, Drew. <laughs> only one piece, there's only one right answer to finish that picture, right? There's only one piece that will fit. There's only one way to complete this picture. It has to be this piece right here. Has to be this piece. But creative people aren't puzzle builders. They're quilt makers. I have seen quilts made of all kinds of different materials. Somebody one time made a quilt of church t-shirts. It's beautiful. Love it. I've seen quilts made of potholders. Quilts can be made of almost anything. That's sort of the beauty of a quilt. A quilt maker looks and says, what can I pull together to make a quilt? And there's not just one answer. <laughs> In fact, the quilt maker's only limitation is the quilt maker's imagination. Make some sense? Christians reflecting their God must be more quilt maker than puzzle builder. God is more quilt maker than puzzle builder. A creative, imaginative God shows the capacity to draw in different aspects, maybe some that you didn't even think of. 
Draw in different aspects to create and build this quilt of meaning and life and truth. As opposed to the puzzle builder who says, no, it has to be this one piece, this one way, right here, right now, it can only be this one. God says, no, there are lots of different ways to be alive, to be what I want you to be. Creative people, kingdom people, aren't puzzle builders, they're quilt makers. Education understands this. I'm gonna show you a, a short video here. In this video, in this video, the teacher has said, has just drawn a very simple little triangle on a piece of paper. In this simple little triangle, she said this to her students. There is only one answer here. You gotta guess what the right answer is, but build something or draw something around this one triangle and you have to get it right. There's one answer and you have to get it right. And so they do the best they can to draw something around this little triangle in the hopes of getting it right. Then later on, she takes this exact same triangle, the same place on the page, and she says to her students, okay, there are no right answers. Do whatever you want, but make something out of this triangle. Take a look and see what happens here. And next. of the paintings were simple drawings of houses and the average number of colors used was two. When students were told complete the painting, they used their imagination freely. None of the kids painted a simple house. They used five colors on average. Those who complete the painting the right way will get one point, but these others were told just to complete the painting. Go back to your worship folder. I just want to read a couple of these uh, quotes together. There you have at the top of that right-hand panel. Definition of imagination that we will use throughout this series. It's the act or power of forming a mental image of something not present to the senses or never before wholly perceived in reality. Love that. But I also like the second definition, creative ability. B, ability to confront and deal with the problem. C, the thinking or active mind or interest. Did you know that Einstein said imagination is more important 
the knowledge. I would say this is true not just in the scientific realm, this is true where the exercise of your faith and my faith are concerned as well. I'm not saying that knowledge is unimportant. I'm saying that imagination is more important than knowledge. Next, Michelangelo says, I saw the, marble, the angel in the marble and I carved until I set him free. I love this, to invent, you need a good imagination <clears throat> and a pile of junk, <laughs> says Edison. But I love what Dr. Seuss says here. I like nonsense, it wakes up the brain cells. Fantasy is a necessary ingredient in living. It's a way of looking at life through the wrong end of a telescope, which is what I do, and that enables you to laugh at life's realities. Too many Christians who want to wear the uniforms and costumes of kingdom participants lack the imagination to challenge life's realities. We simply run from them. We barricade the doors to try to protect ourselves and our own from life's realities. But I think when given opportunity, God would like to move us and challenge us and change our imaginations and, and fund our creativity so that we can take, uh, draw a target around life's realities, especially the dark realities, and transform them by the imagination of God. That includes the dark realities in your life. It also includes the dark realities suffered by our neighborhood, our city, state, and nation. Christians spend too much time locked behind doors, cowering, afraid of life's realities, when God seeks to send us out and unleash us with God's imagination to challenge those same realities. What we're gonna have now is a story that takes place in an insider context, in a Jewish context, in an insider context. This story, again, allow yourself to hear it, hopefully, again, for the first time. This story is gonna challenge some of your underlying assumptions, not just about wise men, but perhaps about God. Let's take a look. So in Matthew chapter two, in the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem asking, where is the child who has been born king of the Jews? Now we sang last week actually, we three kings. Why do we even use the language of kings? Now it's not so much because of anything found in Matthew chapter two. It's actually because of something we already read today all the way back in uh, Isaiah chapter 60. Now I didn't read all the way down to these verses, but in Isaiah 60, it goes something like this. Kings, someday, Israel, kings will come to you bringing gifts. It even says gifts of gold and frankincense. It does not say myrrh, but gold and frankincense. But here's the context of that Isaiah 60 passage. People of God, having been conquered and exiled, carried off to Babylon, now are finally freed to come home. The Persians dominated and conquered the Babylonians, and the Persians allowed all of our ancient spiritual ancestors to come home. And they come home to Jerusalem to find the city in ruins, to find the wall torn down, to find the temple in tatters. They come home and they are absolutely depressed. And the prophet speaks a word of hope and truth to them then and there and says, someday the people of God will fulfill their roles as the people of God, a light for other nations. And the other neighboring countries, their kings will recognize it and they will bring you gifts 
Gifts like gold and frankincense. And so, by the time we get to Matthew chapter two and we read that they bring gifts of gold and frankincense, somebody has connected the dots and says, well, those must have been kings. But the word there shouldn't be translated as king. In fact, although we use the term magi, and I said to my class this morning, I don't know how many of us use the term magi very often in everyday life, the term that we would probably use would be something closer to magician. Or, for you Potter fans out there, wizard. (laughs) Or astrologer. All right, now this is where it starts to get weird, right? So let's read it with this concept of astrologer and astrology. Astrologers, not because they've read scripture, but because they have been reading the stars, come to Herod and they say, we have seen something out here and we believe that this king has been born somewhere out there. Not because they've been reading the Old Testament, because they've been reading the stars. Now, here's something else I tried in my class today. Do you believe that God speaks German? Amen or yes? Yes or no, I mean. Yes, yes, okay. Do you believe that God speaks Spanish? Yes. So what we're, see, <laughs> very nice. How do you say amen in Spanish? I think it's amen. I think that's what it is. Amen in Spanish? It's amen, good. Okay, we believe that God can speak all these different languages. The different ethnicities have their different languages, and we believe that God speaks within their frame of reference. It would not be a loving God who would refuse to speak German to a German, would it? And so a loving God speaks to all these different peoples within their frame of reference. God can also speak astrology. Come on now, listen. Apparently, God can speak astrology. Apparently, God is so big that God can be the God of all peoples. But apparently also, God is so imaginative that God can speak within the frame of reference of any person or group of people, even weirdo, whacked out astrologers, who apparently listen well enough to go to Herod and say, hey, we think we see something in the stars and your replacement has just been born. Now, as you might expect, Herod was not super interested (laughs) in having a replacement. He was super interested in this report, though. But before we move on, I want this to sink in for a second. God is that big to be God of all peoples. And God is that imaginative to use any means necessary to speak to someone, even if he speaks, even if God speaks to someone within their own foreign frame of reference. Do I still get an amen out of that too? I mean, you like that God speaks Spanish, right? You like that, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But are we just as good with God speaking astrology so that God can reach God's people. In fact, watch the rest of the story. (laughs) Who is it that seems to understand the identity of this king? 
who is it that actually embodies the proper posture where this king is concerned? It's not the insiders, though the insiders also seem to verify this report. We have observed his star at his rising, and we have come to pay him homage. Now, some of your Bibles may translate that word as worship him. We have come to worship him. I don't think that translation is quite powerful enough. Because the word here is one that would indicate that these kings or these wise men or these magi, these wizards, were going to throw themselves at the feet of Jesus. Like you do another person of royalty. Throw themselves at Jesus' feet and perhaps even kiss his feet. That's the word. We have come to worship this king. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened and all Jerusalem with him. And calling together all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. So Herod is uptight and not just because his replacement has been born, but he's uptight for the same reason that the rest of Jerusalem is uptight. This now is one of the more upsetting verses and lines in all of scripture to me. The people of God, or at least the people who should have been the people of God, are upset that Jesus has been born. Catch this. They had so cast their lot with the Roman occupation and the Roman leadership and the apple cart was really good, it was really nice, it was really comfortable and they recognized now that if a competitor king has been born, this competitor king, especially if it's the Messiah, is going to mess up everything for us and anger the Romans and in fact, they were right. And so they were rightfully disturbed by the report and then the birth of this king. Kind of like us. Listen, anytime you cast your lot with the empire, Jesus' birth and life and death and resurrection is not necessarily going to be good news. I'm, I'm gonna say it again, because only Jason said amen. Think about this. Anytime I, Anytime you, anytime we cast our lot with the empire, anytime we say the empire is going to somehow guarantee me hope and future and security, anytime we cast our lot with the empire, then this Jesus becomes a disturbance and a threat and will absolutely upset the apple cart and perhaps then that's when we start to organize against him. Because they knew their scripture they knew it well enough to say, you know what, this Jesus is supposed to be born in Bethlehem. But the Old Testament scribes and Pharisees, the experts in the law, don't go to Bethlehem. So Herod calls a secret meeting. Herod sent the wise men to Bethlehem saying, okay, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word so that I may go and pay him homage. Now, you can see the picture right there. That doesn't look like a very nice guy, does it? 
So we kind of know, just by looking at the picture, that Herod's not going to go and kiss Jesus' feet. In fact, what we know, what we know, is that Herod does not have an imagination for the king and kingdom. Herod's imagination is for Caesar and the empire in his own place of power and authority. Herod does not have the imagination. In fact, Herod insists on the Roman Empire and his own power and authority, insists on it so deeply that Herod actually unleashes a campaign against little boys who might be the king and kills who knows how many little boys, wrecks how many families, all in an effort to try to protect his own understanding of the way things are supposed to be. Herod was the ultimate puzzle builder. There was only one right answer. And at all costs, he would protect that one right answer. When they had heard the king, they set out, and there ahead of them went that star again. Still not really helped by the Old Testament scriptures. God is still using astrology to guide them to Jesus. Ahead of them went the star that they had seen at its rising until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. They knelt down and paid him homage. And then opening their treasure chest, they offered him gifts of gold and frankincense. You could kind of hear Isaiah 60 resonating in your head, but then also myrrh. Because myrrh is embalming fluid. In the book of Matthew, which by the way is the most beholden to the Old Testament, most beholden to the Old Testament scriptures and prophecies, for Matthew, the cradle is never far from the cross. Maybe for us, there's a lesson here. Maybe the cross, especially during Christmas, is, it fades too far into the background. Maybe all of it would make more sense and fuel and fund our imagination a little bit better if we could keep cradle and cross a little bit closer together. Matthew is indicating and communicating to us the cross is not far from the cradle by including myrrh in the gifts of gold and frankincense. Having been warned in a dream, boy, God just uses all kinds of ways talk to folks. Doesn't make any sense, does it? Not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. I found myself worrying this week that if this same kind of story were to happen in Oklahoma City in 2013 and now 14, I found myself worrying this week that we might not have imagination enough to listen to dreams or to astrologers. I found myself wondering if we have spent too much time sequestering ourselves away from the other voices that might actually feed and fund and fuel our imaginations. I found myself wondering if we hadn't become a movement of puzzle builders who insist on God doing things one way, one way. 
such that anything that doesn't fit our one way of, of doing things, things that don't fit our expectations, we sort of just push to the side and exclude and even demean. But what if God is this big? What if God is this imaginative that God could use anything and anyone who will listen? The insiders did not worship Jesus. The insiders did not bother to even go see Jesus. At the end of the story of the wise men, the magi, if you had to choose, would you more rather be one of the outsiders who saw Jesus or one of the insiders who wouldn't go take a look? Are you insinuating, John, that we should all be outsiders? No, just don't be addicted to an insider's perspective such that you don't have room for God to do what God wants to do or say what God wants to say or be wherever God, God wants to be. Man, we have to break out as Christians. We have to break out of this bunker mentality we have to break out of these little silos where we keep all the Christians and, and we can actually keep score and make sure that we have the Christians inside and the other bad people outside, right? We have to break out of that because I think in, in being in this bunker and being inside of the silo, here's what we do. Not only do we cheat the world out of the imagination of God, but we cheat ourselves out of the imagination of God. I think Christians are sent people not just gathered people, but gathered to be sent people. There is no corner of this world to which you and I aren't called. In fact, I'm one of the guys who's willing to say, having looked at it and studied it, thought about it for a long time, I'm not sure there is a division between the sacred and the secular unless the people of God abandon a place rendering it somehow secular because we won't take God there. Steve Jobs uh, ran Apple for a long time. Now, I know as soon as I've said Steve Jobs, there are some PC people in the room who feel like Steve Jobs was the devil. I don't think he was. <laughs> like, sorry, uh, I just don't, I don't think he was. Uh, Steve Jobs, the, the guy who ran Apple for so long, was one of the pioneers in innovation. And I love this quote. Innovation comes from people meeting up in the hallways or calling each other at 10.30 at night with a new idea or because they realize something that shoots holes in how we've been thinking about a problem. And he demonstrated this most clearly when he bought Pixar Studios. This is the bunch that brought you Toy Story and Toy Story 2 and, by the way, Toy Story 3. When he bought it, you had this department over here. The production department was over here. The creative part department was over here. You had everybody else over there. They had silos. They had sort of a bunker mentality. And they worked pretty hard to stay separated because everybody had their job. They had their version of what needed to be done. These people had their version of what needed to be done. And those folks had their version of what needed to be done. And they built their campus to support that understanding that division is good. And so Steve Jobs, when he bought Pixar, tore the whole place down and rebuilt it. <laughs> and he built this giant complex with very few restrooms. Very few restrooms. In fact, the restrooms were right in the middle, very few, but right in the middle of the whole complex so that 
if you ever really needed to go to the restroom, you would have to go and rub shoulders with the people from the other departments. In fact, he reorganized the entire thing so that there was no silo anymore. Everybody was all together all the time. And they found that their ideas were all better because of it. Everybody had a little better understanding of the quilt they were trying to make. They stopped being puzzle builders. They started being quilt makers. And the quality of their work rose. It grew. It got better and better as they worked together and bounced off of one another. Christians should take note. We aren't called to be separated out just to be separated out. Any time, any time in Scripture that we are called God's chosen people, you should never understand that sentence, you are God's chosen people, as ending with a period. It should always end with a comma. You are God's chosen people and you are meant to be the instrument whereby God would reach all the people. We're comma people. We're not period people. We're comma people. <laughs> we serve an imaginative God who speaks all the languages, even astrology. Because God's going to do what God's going to do. The question at the end of the day is not whether or not God's going to do what God's going to do. The question is whether or not the people of God will allow it <laughs> and participate in it. Or whether, the question is whether or not we've become such puzzle builders that we're only going to accept what fits our frame of reference. What might God be willing to do with you and your life in 2014? Is it possible that God may reach toward you and speak to you in ways that you might not have expected? And is it possible that God then might reach through you to people you might not have considered? Is it possible that God might use some other means of communication to say something to you that you desperately need to hear some other frame of reference that you might never have expected, and then is it possible that God might then reach to you and then through you to reach people that perhaps today you don't even see, much less consider to be your responsibility? Epiphany is the season where we look at the imagination and creativity of God <laughs> And we look at the imagination and creativity of the people of God and we confess the difference in the hopes of closing the gap. Won't you stand with me? We actually have quite a bit yet to do today. The year in pictures is today and we've got lunch to be served here today but I don't wanna miss an opportunity if someone wants to pray, you are never actually going to be uh, coerced into coming to the altar. The side altars are always going to be available to you. If you need a prayer for healing, someone will meet you there or over here to pray that prayer for healing. And these front altars are open for anyone, anyone to pray any kind of prayer. 
and you'll find that you will not pray alone. If you're gonna pray today, well, come and pray about anything, but perhaps there might be someone in the room today who might wanna pray this prayer. God, make me a quilt maker. <laughs> Liberate me from my puzzle building tendencies and make me a quilt maker. Here's another way of saying that exact same thing. May I be more beholden to your perspective than my own. Give me your eyes. Build within me your imagination. And you can pray that prayer at your seat. You can pray it standing. You can pray it sitting. You can pray that prayer anyway. But these altars are open if you want to pray that prayer as well. Heavenly Father, so now... Relieve us of the kinds of pressures and temptations and things that would confuse us and distract us. Relieve us of all of that so that we can, at least for a moment, listen and pray and listen as we try to tap into your imagination. And Tamara's gonna sing one chorus. I invite you to find a place to pray or a posture of prayer, and then we will move through our season of prayer and conclude. I want to invite you to take a posture of prayer that's most comfortable for you. If at any point during this brief prayer you'd like to make your way to the altar, you would be welcome. Walt and Linda will be ready to pray those prayers for healing whenever you're ready. You're certainly welcome to kneel where you are or to remain standing. Dear Heavenly Father, we confess, we begin this prayer as we often do with the prayer of confession. We confess, Lord, that there are times when we find it difficult to dream the dreams of God. We confess, Lord, that there are times when we wake up and realize that we too have cast our lots with the empire. There are times, God, when we're all too keenly aware that the empire dreams a different dream than you do. We confess also, Lord, that sometimes it's fear or it's inconvenience or it's intimidation that keeps us as participating members of the empire as opposed to being participating members in your kingdom. So God, what we need is imagination. God, what we need is a, a burst of creativity to help us to understand where you are so that we can see you where we didn't see you before and hear you where we didn't hear you before so that we can consider the realities differently than we did yesterday. God, give us the capacity to see our circumstances the way you see our circumstances. God, grow us so that we can finally have the capacity to see other people the way you see other people. God, we'll even pray this prayer. Give us the capacity to see ourselves the way you see us. Because we know somehow deeply, we know, Lord, that if we could ever see circumstances, others, or ourselves, the way you see all of the above, then perhaps we might move differently, say things differently, think differently. So give us those eyes, and those ears. Give us that imagination and grow us to the place where we can look and see things more like you do. God, there are some in our fellowship who are sick, or hurt, or in pain. 
God, we're grateful to see Lawrence Wheeler here today continue to move in his life and to touch him, give him strength and vitality. God, move to the bedside of Jean McMenemy. Help her, give her a sense of deep peace, deep sense of your presence. And now I wanna get out of the way and I want you to pray that same prayer for someone, someone who's in pain around you, someone sick, someone hurt, perhaps someone alone or isolated, but pray that God would heal and mend and help. I would ask you to pray for your church that a godly sense of imagination would guide our decisions big and small. It would guide our budgeting and planning and our calendaring. May we not dream dreams too small for God and God's imagination. Pray for us. Pray for your church. Pray a simple prayer now. Would you pray that God would give you imagination for today? It's one thing to pray that God would give you imagination for your life. It's a good prayer. But pray that God would give you imagination to see God at work today. Give you the courage to move and react, respond accordingly. close our time of prayer as we always do with the Lord's Prayer, a prayer that as we pray it continues to take up ground in our lives and as it does, we are people of divine imagination more and more and more. Take notice of these words as we pray them and we'll pray this today using the words debts and debtors. Let's pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast. For more information about OKC First, please visit okcfirst.com. Like us on Facebook at Oklahoma City First Church of the Nazarene or follow us on Twitter at OKC First Church.